Good morning. So good to see you all. My name is Matt, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And as Kondo said earlier, greetings to those of you who are with us for the very first time. So good to have you here with us. We consider it just an absolute privilege that you have joined us here this morning. And also, I want to take a moment just to give a shout out and a thank you to just the army of volunteers that it takes to just pull this off each and every week uh, from the worship team to the tech team to the welcome, guest services, connection folks, the ushers, the parking lot, the folks partnering with Jennifer and the children's ministry. Can we just say thank you to those folks? Unbelievable job. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, uh, to start us off, what I want to do this morning is I want to make a few statements, uh, just, just a couple of different statements, and as I make these statements, I want you to take just a moment and just begin to sort of process them. Take, take them in. As you hear them, as I, as I say some things and as you hear them, I want you to just kind of feel all the feels, like just kind of embrace them and take them in, and then just think about like, okay, how is this hitting me? Okay, so here we go. Here we go. Um, I should really get out for a run. I need to dust off the sneakers. I need to get out for a run. Okay, just take that in. Just feel, just feel that. Okay, um, I've got some margin. I've got a little margin on my hands. Uh, I should really utilize this time to get ahead in this deadline. I mean, like maybe remove some of the distractions, but I should get ahead. Okay, um, wow, those cookies in the break room look fantastic. I should probably say no. Like, I should probably pass on that sugary treat. I think I've been sitting on the couch for three straight days. I might need to dial down the Netflix binge. Maybe, maybe just a touch. Lost feeling in my legs. It's not, it's not a good thing. Oh, it's, it's, so, it's so important to stay in touch with our loved ones. I should probably call my mom. Okay, just feel it. Just feel it. All right. Um, I really, really should, should probably stop spending so much time on social media. I, I probably should not press send on this post. You know, I've got a number of things just kind of hanging out there with people. I, I probably need to really just kind of step up and apologize. I should, in this moment, just put my phone down and just engage a little bit more with my family. I'm looking at this, this menu and page after page just has so many amazing, delicious things on it. And then there's this tiny little section in the corner that's like the under 500 calories and it's got like leaf symbols and things on it. And oh, I should probably order something off that section of the menu. I really need to become a better listener. Now, how do those statements hit you? How are you receiving these statements as you are hearing them? Now, some of them, they, they may come in and they just kind of come and go and no big deal, whatever, and it's fine. Some of them may come and you find a little bit of tension. You find a rub as, as some of the things I said, you're like, oh, that one's a little sharp. That one kind of hurts. And yet, isn't it interesting 
Isn't it interesting as we think about that list, if we were to, to, to put that list up here and, and just look through it and take time to process it, I think that we would all agree as we look through that, all of those things would lead to us taking steps towards becoming better people. All of those things would lead us to becoming possibly more the people that we would like to become. And yet if you're anything like me, sometimes those thoughts are a little hard to process. Or perhaps maybe you, you process them on your own and you get a little bit of just kind of, you know, passion and motivation around it. And you think, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this. I, I, I'm all in on this. And then your wife says to you in the restaurant, um, hey, mm, maybe you shouldn't go with like the heart attack burger and, and fries and, and think about a salad. And you're like, I want the cheese fries with extra cheese and extra fries and just pile on more bacon than can possibly fit on the plate and give me the extra fat ranch. And the waitress is like, you mean low fat ranch? No, extra, no, you know what, just put butter on it. Just throw butter on top of the thing. Give me the whole thing. I, I don't even care. My wife's never actually said that to me out loud in a restaurant with her mouth. Like, <laughs> maybe her eyes, like, that tilt of the head, you know. So, and I don't know what it is, but just the thought of someone pressing in on us and our decisions and our way of life and, and just pressing into these things that maybe are a little sensitive and, and we kind of just have this sort of rebellious thing rise up in us and say, I don't want to hear it. I'm not up for that. Don't go there even though we may know that it's for our own good. And this can be true with Jesus. See, I believe Jesus invites us to be all that we can be, all that he's created us to be as we journey and walk in our life with him. And yet sometimes he does so by saying things that we would rather not and so our, our question and the thing that, that we want to lean into is, will we be courageous enough to listen? And so that's why this morning we are starting this new series called Jesus Uncensored, What We Wish He Hadn't Said. And Kondo and I are going to be working through this series together and taking turns as we team teach it. And together we're going to journey through some of the more challenging and some of the more maybe confusing teachings of Jesus. And in these moments, we want to just process through like, hey, these are Jesus' words. This is what he had to say. And maybe it does come and hit us with just a little bit of a rub or just a little bit of a sharp edge. But let's be courageous enough to lean in together. And process and unpack. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Matthew chapter 5, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible, no worries, we'll have the scripture up on the screen for you. And as always, if you don't own a Bible, we would love to get one in your hands. The folks in the connection corner have one for you and you can ask them for one on your way out today and we would love to, to give one of those to you. Well, let me set this up for you. Um, we are going to be looking in Matthew chapter 5, and it's, it's an area that we're going to camp out in through the course of this 
series, and in this chapter, it's the beginning of this sermon, this famous sermon, possibly the most famous sermon, called the Sermon on the Mount. And see, in Jesus' teaching, we get a lot of of sound bites, and we get a lot of, of parables, and we get a lot of moments here and there, but this is a moment where he camps out for a couple of chapters, and he just gives this amazing sermon. And yet, let me set up for you just sort of the context of it. This happens very early in Jesus' public ministry. Jesus has just been baptized, and then he goes out into the wilderness, and he he spends time alone, and he's tempted by Satan, and then he he comes out, and he begins the work of recruiting his disciples and calling them to follow him, and he begins to start his teaching and his healing ministry, and there's a few of these just miraculous moments, and then we find him here in Matthew chapter 5, where he's diving into the Sermon on the Mount. And again, it's very early in his public ministry. He has some following, a little bit of buzz around him, like, hey, I just this guy turned uh, water into wine at this wedding, and there's people that are like dropping their lives, and they're starting to follow him. So there's a little bit of a buzz around him, and so people are starting to hear. And in the context of these people and their history, there are prophecies of a coming Messiah. So anytime someone new, a rabbi, is coming on the scene and is starting to teach and and have, you know, there's some miraculous moments. There's just kind of this like, could this be? And so there is this interest and this leaning in. And so there's this buzz that's starting to build. But right now, people are in the early stages trying to hear and learn about this new rabbi, Jesus. And you'll hear people say, you know, maybe friends of yours. Oh my goodness, I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's the best. Well, listen, these people aren't your friends. They're lying to you. They've never actually read the entire Sermon on the Mount, okay? This thing is extreme. This is the like, cut your hand off, gouge your eye out, pray for your enemies. If they come and ask you for your shirt, give them your coat and your Lexus too. Like, give them the whole thing. Like, all in. Like, this is some crazy, extreme, hard stuff. And I'm just kidding. I I do love the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm so excited that we will be unpacking some of this. And if you've been around here for any length of time, you know that for us, even if something may be a little bit hard to process or maybe feels just a little bit controversial, we don't think it's a reason to avoid it. In fact, all the more reason to dive in and to work to gain a better understanding. But this sermon has some of the heaviest stuff to process. And you would think that Jesus, early in his ministry, you know, may have, from a marketing and sales standpoint, have like a little bit more of like an engaging, like how to win friends and influence people sort of, you know, vibe to his ministry of like, hey, let's get some people excited about this. But, but the sermon is, is, is got some bite to it. And for some people, it's just offensive. But hey, today, just rest easy. We're getting started. So we're going to take it slow. We're going to take it easy. Just a passage about Jesus demanding perfection or you risk not making it into heaven. So <laughs> simple stuff, simple stuff, just eternity at stake, whatevs, no big deal. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Okay, let's dive in. I'm going to read these verses straight through. And then we will come back and process them. Starting in verse 17, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. 
Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, let's frame this up from the perspective of Jesus' audience. Going back to verse 17, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, we believe that the word of God is living and active and, and breathing, and God uses it to speak to us, even directly to us in our northern Indiana 2017 context. However, these stories, these scriptures, they are a collection of stories that do have their own background, and they do have their own history and their context. And while we see certain things a certain way from our vantage point and from our cultural perspective, it's so important for us to lean in and say, what is the vantage point of this original listener? What is this first century Jewish audience hearing when Jesus is talking about this? So this is pre-Jesus dying on the cross. This is before Jesus has raised from the, from the dead. As I said, this is at the very beginning of his ministry. So for these people, the way to God is still through what we know is the old covenant. Except for the context of this story, it's not the old covenant yet. It's just the covenant. It's the agreement and the promise that God established through Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. And through then Moses, God provides the law. The law was captured in written form and is known as the written Torah, which is the first five books of the Jewish scriptures, also known as our Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the written Torah. And as we've talked about before, the Torah is the textbook that all the Jewish elementary kids are learning. And by learning, I mean memorizing <laughs> word for word. And in the written Torah, we find the narrative or the story from creation all the way from the beginning, the garden, to coming up to the promised land where Moses is about to give the, the final speech before he passes away. And so there's that narrative. And then interspersed throughout the written Torah are the commands of God. 613 total commandments. Jesus, I'm sorry, Jewish people today call these the mitzvahs. 248 requirements, 365 prohibitions. 248 things you're required to do, 365 things you should not do. Now, the law, if we spelled out all 613 of these things, it would boil down to this crazy, nuanced picture of perfection. And that was the point. It was the standard that God had set forth for holiness. He is the perfect Holy God. 
and the law he laid out for his people called them to that standard. So that is the law. The prophets, as Jesus is referring to here, are then the mouthpieces of God in the story of the Old Testament. The people God would give a message to communicate to his people. And the message would often be a prophecy or a prediction, something that would happen in the future. And many of these prophets would speak of or allude to the coming Messiah in their messages. These are known as the Messianic prophecies. And then some of the prophecies, they were just warnings or they were reminders of the commands, reminders of the requirement for holiness. So Jesus saying, I didn't come to get rid of the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill them. I came to complete them. Is a big statement. For the religious leaders leaning into Jesus' teaching, trying to get their arms around, who is this guy? Any talk of the law would certainly pique some interest. And because dealing with the law is, is a little bit dangerous, tricky ground, the law is holy, it's sacred, it is an entire way of life. These people were just leaning in, trying to understand. Verse 18, <coughs> excuse me, for I truly tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus starts by saying, I'm not going to get rid of the law, and then he doubles down. Until heaven disappears or everything is accomplished, the law is not going away. Not even the smallest part. Not even the littlest thing. And for people listening, they know heaven to be this everlasting, eternal place. A place that never dies. A place that never stops. And Jesus says until that disappears or everything is accomplished, everything about the law, it matters. Even the smallest, most minuscule thing. Okay, so the law is here to stay. You see, this would have been a heavy bit of teaching and information for Jesus' audience, especially the non-religious or the people who are coming to the table saying, I know that my life is marked by sin. I know that I am failing. I know that I am not getting it done. This would have been a heavy thing for them to process because these people are constantly being confronted by the law. It's being thrown in their faces. It's something that's being pressed down on them by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who used it to control their spheres of influence or their little ecosystems. You see, like many religious people, there are really good and well-intentioned people, people who really truly care about doing the right thing and honoring God. But then there are many who have found the power and the benefit of using people's faith to their advantage. And in their teaching, many religious leaders would twist the law or manipulate it to benefit or to gain. Verse 19, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So in the light of the fact that the law is, is here to stay, 
Anyone who sets them aside, ignores them, disobeys them, leads people to believe that they don't matter, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and and teaches and holds them up, you will be called great. You see, the religious leaders, they would have smiled at this and kind of pat themselves on the back because this was their gig. They, They are the professionals when it came to the law. And so right here, Jesus is validating their ministry. Hey, people that don't care about the law, people who are, you know, just get away with it. No, people who are holding it up, yes, you will be great. And yet again, some in Jesus' audience, they're, they're just listening and they're thinking, set aside the smallest of the commandments or the commands gets me least of the kingdom of heaven kind of trouble? Seriously? I mean, there's, there's some small ones in there. there. There's really, for instance, here, here's, here's just a, a few of the, the 613 laws. Here's a, here's a few of the, the prohibitions. You should not forget what Amalek did to us. to us. I don't, I don't know what that is. A priest with a blemish should not minister in the sanctuary. I don't know if you can see it from where you're sitting, but I've got like a zit right here up on my, it's concerned me, and I am more concerned as I keep reading through this. Do not plant trees in the sanctuary. I don't know why you would plant a tree in this. I don't know where that comes, but it's in. Okay, a, a nazir, I don't know what a nazir is or who, and maybe it's a per, I don't know. Maybe I'm part of the nazir bloodline. I don't know, but a nazir shouldn't eat dried, dried grapes. Don't eat raisins, guys. What? So for these people leaning in to some of this, for Jesus to say, hey, it all matters. The law matters. The smallest of things matters. And they're thinking like, I forgot what Amalek did. And I'm going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven? Well, you might as well sign me up for the loser squad. Because seriously, this is impossible. And yet some of the religious leaders and scholars would have been like the teacher's fed. Like, ooh, I know, I know, I know what he did. I know what he did. I got this one. I got this one. Esau's grandson is the whole thing. I know about all, I know the whole thing. And I don't, eat, I don't eat raisins. I'm all good. I'm all good. And so at this point, Jesus seems to be leaning towards the traditional legalistic Pharisee. An expert in the law who, who's going to go around with a clipboard and, and just point out people's mistakes. It seems as if this new rabbi coming onto the scene is just going to fall right in line with what the people are used to. But hold on. While Jesus has half of his audience seemingly on the ropes, he's about to just deliver the knockout punch that takes out everyone. Look at verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, 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 whoa. These guys, the the, the self-righteous law professionals, 
The, the, the guys who, who make a living on studying and defending and, and fighting for the law, we have to be more righteous than those guys to get into the kingdom of heaven? Well, that would have been a devastating blow. Something incredibly hard to hear and to process for those looking for hope. For the religious leaders who, who are already in righteousness overdrive, just killing it on the law, that this would have been a record scratch moment for them where they're kind of like, yeah, yeah, and then they're like, whoa, wait, what? We're not righteous enough? The, the stuff that we're doing, it's not good enough. We, we don't have what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be kidding me. Our love for the law doesn't cut it. How in the world is anyone going to be more righteous than us? This was a backbreaker. Jesus just disqualified everyone. And again, this is so crazy. This is one of his very first sermons. I mean, imagine this, okay? Like, I come to you, I'm like, hey, so listen, I'm thinking about uh, planting a church. And you're like, oh, cool, sounds great. How are you going to do that? Well, um, I'm going to go, you know, raise up a team, get some, get some uh, team of people, maybe hire some staff. That sounds good, yeah. And, um, you know, maybe hold a couple of events in the community, some cool things, reach out to people, create a little bit of buzz, um, you know, do some, do some cool stuff. Yeah, that sounds good. Then I'm going to invite everybody to church, and I'm going to just teach this killer sermon. Yeah, yeah, now you're talking. Now, now you get them. Yeah, and, and in this sermon, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look everyone in the eye, and I'm going to tell them, hey, your life, your, your way of living, everything you've done, everything that you're about, it doesn't cut it. You're not good enough. You're not going to make it into heaven. Who wants to come to the membership class? <laughs> and yet this is what Jesus does. You see, there, there are those coming in struggling. They know that their life is marked by sin and mistakes along the way, and they're looking for Jesus to say something that provides hope. Jesus, what do you got for me? Is there any hope? You see, these guys over here, these religious leaders, they, they've just been letting me have it. And, and everything that they, they've got, it, it doesn't, doesn't help me. If anything, it, it just sort of pushes me away. It, it makes me feel outcast. It makes me feel like I have no place. God certainly wants nothing to do with me. And the religious are showing up feeling pretty awesome about themselves. And they want to see this new teacher sort of just give them props and fall in line with their ways and respect and uphold the law like they do. And Jesus looks them all in the eye and says, no, none of you have what it takes. None of you meet the standard that God has created. Every one of you has fallen short. There is no sense of hope for these listeners. And listen, growing up and spending the majority of my life in church and in Bible schools and sitting through enough sermons and Bible studies to last seven lifetimes, I can tell you that I have lived on every side of this equation. I have felt the pain of this on every single side. For some of you, you could barely get yourself up and drag yourself in here this morning, feeling like, I just can't do it. I can't measure up. And it's messages and it's thoughts like this that make me think like, I can't, I can't do this. The church, there's nothing for me. There's no hope. I can't, I know I don't measure up. I see it in the mirror all the time and it's devastating. I can't, 
I can't do this. And for some of us, we're, we're here and we're killing it on church attendance and Bible study and prayer life is on point. And we can start to, in that process, get a little bit proud of ourselves and proud of the things that we are up to. And we can start to look down just a little bit on the outsider. And we can play a little bit of a, an us versus them of like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm just nothing like them over the strugglers and I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. And you see, walking through this stuff, it can be defeating, it can be humiliating, it can be frustrating, and it can lead us to these places, possibly feeling some of what I imagine Jesus' crowd was feeling on this day of what does hope even look like when it comes to my relationship with God? Now, in the made-for-TV movie that I am directing in my head, uh, I imagine just a great deal of murmuring around Jesus' crowd. Some who have been offended, they've just stormed off and they're firing off a tweet about this crazy Jesus guy. You won't believe him. He's absolutely crazy. Hashtag not the Messiah. And <laughs> some are discussing the implications of what Jesus has said. And in this movie, in my mind, I imagine someone young, possibly a teenager, just raising their hand and just saying, Rabbi, what did you mean when you said you came to fulfill the law? And I imagine Jesus smiling. And then the to be continued flashes on the screen and everyone at home goes, oh, no, are you kidding me? Like, come on, should we watch the next episode? All right, one more episode. Let's watch the next episode. So we're going to look at the next episode. All right, so what do we know about Jesus and his life? We know that he lived it perfectly. He lived out all the commands of God. Through the story of the Gospels, we see him in his humanity. We see him tired. We see him hungry. We see him seek out retreat and rest. We know that he was tempted. And yet through it all, through the journey and course of his life, he never sins. He never breaks the law. And he lives out the very things prophesied about the Messiah. Through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, he fulfills the law. He completes it. He satisfies God's demand for holiness, and he became the perfect and final sacrifice for sin. You see, in the old covenant, that is how they maintained their relationship with God, this complex system of worship and sacrifices and going to the local high priest to, to get access to God and to give their sacrifice and to give their offering. And they, they had to keep up with this rhythm and these festivals and these things and this way of worship. But Jesus comes and he fulfills the law and he establishes the new covenant. The relationship with God is no longer accomplished through a series of ongoing sacrifices, but through one complete final sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Access to God is no longer requiring a local priest. Access to God has been opened up by the ultimate high priest, Jesus. You see, righteousness isn't achieved by keeping 613 laws or striving for perfection because no matter how hard we try, we just won't measure up. Righteousness comes through Christ and Christ Jesus alone, period. The Apostle Paul 
through his series of letters in the New Testament. He speaks about this many times in his teachings to the first century church. You see, he was a hardcore Jewish man. He was one of the religious leaders. He was an absolute zealot and defender of the law to the point that he was going around doing everything to wipe out Christians from the face of the earth, have them rounded up, have them imprisoned, have them killed. These people were messing up and perverting the law. That's where Paul was at until Jesus interrupts his life and confronts his story. And changes his perspective for good. And Paul talks about this life and faith-altering reality that he's found in Jesus. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Faith in Jesus means your sin is paid for. It was crucified with Christ, and now it is Christ that lives in you. His perfect, holy, blameless righteousness becomes your righteousness. <clears throat> Paul continues in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, but now apart from the law, Stepping apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just like Jesus taught in his uh, sermon here, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace to the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your life's experience has been. Really good, really bad, rich, poor, free, enslaved, man, woman. We have all fallen short and it all boils down to Jesus. We are free in him. We are forgiven because of him. We are welcomed into the kingdom of God and we have access to a relationship with God through him and he is the only Jesus opens up his sermon by saying, everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short. You are never going to live up to God's standard. It is impossible. That's why I'm here. I'm on a rescue mission. I will live out the impossible. I will pay the ultimate price so that you can join me in paradise. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the law. And therefore, our righteousness is tied directly to him and his perfect obedience of the law. Now, for those of you who are here as Christ followers today, those of you who have placed your faith in him, let me do my best Jesus impersonation and say something a little crazy. And if you don't like it, you can email me at condo at missionpoint.net. <laughs> because Jesus fulfilled the demands of the law, we never have to obey a single commandment so that we are right with God. But in this sermon, I believe Jesus is raising the bar for his followers. It's as if he is saying, listen, I will do the heavy lifting when it comes to the perfect requirements of the law. But he's not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. The law matters, not as a way of getting right with God, but as a way of living right with God. 
as we grow and we mature in our faith and we pursue Jesus more and more and more with our lives, we want to obey because Jesus has made us right with God. And if I'm really honest, I I think the way that, that we look at the law and the commandments, at least the way that I have looked at the law and commandments for many years of my life has just been from the wrong perspective. Do you think God's commands and and laws are not about God pressing his thumb down on us in an oppressive way, about him boxing us in, about him just sort of pushing us around? It's him setting the standard and pointing us towards the best way to live. And Jesus, he's, he's covered our imperfections and our failures. But when we embrace the commands, we are leaning in to the best greatest way to live these days. James 1.25 says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Think about that. Think about this law. Have you thought about it as something that gives and brings freedom? Anyone who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. To walk out of here and and think or live like the law doesn't matter would be wrong. It it mattered so much that Jesus had to die to meet its demands, even if it came down to the smallest letter of the law. It mattered, and Jesus died for that. And so when we study the commands of God and not just listen to it, but we live it, I believe we'll begin to experience the blessings that come from living out of it. And you know this at a very basic level. You know, if if you haven't uh, killed someone, or if you haven't committed adultery, you, you aren't living with the weight that comes with those sins. You aren't living with the consequences and dealing with some of the, the fallout and the things that can happen to you. And, and so, and, and yet we go into this sort of ranking system mentality of like, well, yeah, but that's, that's just the big sins. Of course, yeah, like you don't do the big sins. No big deal. But, I mean, little sins, does it, does it really matter? I mean, like, how are you doing with gossip? What about lust? You, you've told any lies recently? You find yourself struggling with jealousy at all? Now see, again, we're we're forgiven. In Christ, we are forgiven. Whether we consider it a big thing or a small thing, we're forgiven. So so what does it matter? And we may be tempted to say, ah, it's just a small sin. We may be tempted to think like, God doesn't mind. He He doesn't care about gossip. It's not like I'm cheating on my wife, big deal. And the church should never say that. We should never have the perspective of, ah, oh, it's just a small sin. That small sin is big enough to keep us out of heaven. That small sin was big enough for Jesus to give his life on the cross. So we should say, Jesus, thank you for doing what I couldn't and now offering me the power to obey through your spirit. We should want to lean into the Holy Spirit's power. And when we fail, and we will fail, We should want to confess and lean into the Spirit's power again 
and trust that the love of Jesus will never separate us from God's love. Jesus did what we couldn't. And his Holy Spirit offers us the power to live like we couldn't. In this sermon, Jesus is pointing people to the rescue and redemption that we can find in him and only him. He's also raising the bar for his followers because he knows it's the best way to live. So if you're here today and and your life is a mess and you are just feeling like God doesn't want to have anything to do with me in my mess, good news. He wants everything to do with you. He loves you. He wants to introduce you to his son, Jesus. By placing your faith in him, you can step into his transforming promises. Or maybe you're here today and you're saying, I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying, but I just can't measure up. Good news. Relax. Jesus has already done the heavy lifting for you. You need to trust him and you need to find your identity in him. And praise God that no matter how we find ourselves here today, Jesus has fulfilled all the law and the prophets and we can be made righteous in him. And praise God that we are made righteous. As we are made righteous, we've been given the Holy Spirit and through his voice and presence in our lives, we can find the blessing that comes from obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for your holiness, for your perfect standard. And God, I confess right now that there's just, there's no way. We've all sinned. We all have fallen short. And yet you have been so gracious and so good to give us your son, Jesus Christ. And through him, we can find forgiveness. Through him, we can find redemption. Through him, we can find our way back to you. And through him, we can be seen as righteous. God, I pray for all of my friends here, no matter where we are sitting here today in our faith journey, God, that we would take a step towards what it means to trust you with our lives. That we begin to open our hands, that we begin to just step back from striving and trying so hard, and we would just look to what you have already accomplished, to what you are already holding out for us, that we would find rest, and we would find peace, and we would find healing in you. And God, in that forgiveness and in that healing, inspire us to live in a way that brings glory to your name. God, may we keep your commands not to become just self-righteous, proud of ourselves people, but to bring glory to you and to point people back to Jesus. Lead us in that way, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.